As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. everyone, welcome to the 48th edition of On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. I'm Michael Bailey, I'm The Athletic's Norwich City correspondent, and I hope this one finds you safe and well. On the way, Hugh Gill's puff of the cheeks, a firm grip on the crown jewels, and Norwich gives the tribal away. Uh, and we'll work through all of this and more with our guests, former Norwich City press officer Ben Mounser. Hello, Michael. And BBC Radio Norfolk commentator Chris Gorham. Hello, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. Much appreciated. Uh, check on how we all are. Ben, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Michael. I'm good. I'm excited, actually. Transfer window closed, and now we've got a lot of games coming up. So, yeah, this is this is what it's all about, isn't it? Matches. Yeah, I mean, in terms matches, of matches, um, matches. following the matches is great. I think working around them, there's a, an element of, oh, gosh, how are we going to cope with all this? But, hey, it's the championship. We're used to it uh, to a degree, aren't we, Chris? But maybe not to this condensed Oh, loving before. it. Yeah, I mean, at, at the time of recording, Norwich have won one game in a row. So I'm, I'm happy yes. with that. In, in the way it's been over the last few months, we, we have to take these things when they come along. So yeah, couldn't be happier at the moment with all things Norwich City. I mean, you're going to struggle to find a team in better form over one game, really, <laughs> exactly. at the moment. Exactly. Um, how are you, Chris? You well? Nice to have you yes. on. Thank you. All good. I know I was, I think the last one I was on was the first one and this is the, the, the 48th. So that means you've, you found at least 47 other people in between times to come yeah. back, come back around again. <laughs> I've got, I've got to be honest, a few recurring um, themes and uh, a bit of churn, but we're okay. And we're still here, which is probably the mo- most important thing. So we'll take it. Um, I was thinking that this was, this was our debut almost 12 months ago. Exactly. So we've we've still go. got the low squad numbers, Ben, you and I, because we were, we were the first on here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. definitely. I remember that part actually, because I think it was the week after, We'd be Everton at Goodison Park, wasn't it? Oh yeah. gosh, it was. Let's not listen to all yeah. the positive things we said about how we were definitely going to stay up after that. <laughs> oh wow, yeah. Well, we made the most of that opportunity because there weren't many more after that. So uh, can consider that a, a box ticked. Uh, well, I tell you what, let's crack on, shall we, with this week's headline act? Now, um, I wanted to start off by talking strikers, if if I may, mainly because I was. Slightly surprised, if I'm honest, that Daniel Farker didn't start with uh, Timu Puki at Rotherham, which of course could, could and certainly be partially because of the international break and Timu playing for, for Finland. Also, he has plenty of options and it was a big opportunity for Jordan Hugill uh, at, at Rotherham to sort of stake his claim. Likewise, we had Adam Eder, who um, 
started on the left. And, and again, that surprised me because I, I, I knew Daniel Farkas saw that as an option, but I wasn't sure about it being one maybe from the, from the start um, out wide. Um, so, and, and we have obviously had games at the end where we've had all three strikers on and it's like, go, go for it, see what you can do, guys. So, um, I mean, clear, clearly Daniel Farker has a lot of really good striker options, um, Chris, but, you know, where do you see it in terms of, what he's got to play with and what's almost the best way forward, really. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that nobody's scored more than one goal for Norwich so far. The, the three strikers you've mentioned have all got one goal each and they've all got various strengths that are all very different from each other. So you could almost look at who you're playing in each game and decide which striker you think is going to be best for that task. I, I don't know how he's going to do it because it's going to mean a big change in, in the way that Daniel Farker lines up. But I would love to see... Hugel and Pukki starting a game as a front two because I think they, they have the styles that would complement each other and I, I felt not so much on Saturday but certainly in the, the derby game when we were playing against the team that was just sitting back and sitting back it felt like we had too many defensive players on the pitch and that maybe that was an opportunity to have Hugel and, and Pukki together as a front two a proper front two for, for a prolonged period and just just to see how it works because they are so different I think that you if you've got that physical presence plus the um the intelligent movement of Pukki, I think if there's some way of getting them to play together, it would be great. But I know that's very old fashioned and you, you have to give something else away elsewhere in the team if you're going to play a front two. But that, that, that is what I would love to see at some point for a sustained period rather than just, you know, when you're going for it in the last five, ten minutes of a game. It was interesting, actually, Daniel Farker, before the game of the weekend, mentioned how Norwich has spent a, a good chunk of the international break working on how to beat a low block, basically. And, and if a team is sitting in, how, how, how they could sort of do that. And it does factor, as, as Chris rightly said, the, the strikers are all so different. They've almost got a, an indication of, of how Norwich are approaching it by way of the striker that they choose to attack the game almost. I agree. Although against Derby, they played lots of crosses into the box and had Puki in there. And then on Saturday, they didn't put any in the first half and they did have Hugel in there. So it was, it's not always a clue as to how they're going to approach it, but it should be. You're right about that. The horses for courses point is an interesting one with the Hugel selection. I, I'm kind of with you, Michael. I, I, was, I certainly was surprised, but I also kind of was in favour of it because it felt like it was something that Norwich maybe needed to do after that um, derby game. Um, I, th- I, th- I think for me as, as well, the Hugo selection was as much about kind of maybe what he offered in, in the defensive side of things from, from set pieces as well, given the kind of um, threat that Rotherham offered from there. But also, you know, it, it, feel, it feels to me like that, yeah, the next phase, and I agree with Chris, the next phase of this is, is trying to integrate Hugo and, and Puki together. That's a good point on defensively, actually, because that that gets brought up quite a bit by Daniel Farker in terms of what just tall players do defensively, Um, which uh, I guess was always a sort of um, a a flip side to the technical ability that they they all had. I mean, it is interesting that, as you said, Chris, they've all scored. you know they've got to try and rack up thirty goals between between all of them because that's what Daniel Farker always wants from his from his three three strikers. So I mean, it. I, I guess we're hoping they're sort of warming up a little bit, but. It feels like there's a little way to go. And, you know, I mean, Jordan did score, but it was from the penalty spot. And, and actually, there were a few chances there that he couldn't quite take a, a Rotherham. Yes, but Norwich haven't scored many goals this calendar year, have they? I think that takes it to something like 10 in 23 league games in, in the whole calendar year. It's something Oof. like that. And a fair few of those have been penalties. So they've scored, they've scored two goals in a game. They've done that twice now this season. Ida, Puki and, and Hugel have all scored. So I, I see potential there. I, I would say that the amount of chances they were creating on, on Saturday uh, were, were, 
was something that I'm quite encouraged by and quite optimistic about. They, that game could have been three all, could even have been four all at half time. I don't think any of us would, would really have, have any, com- any complaints about it because it was, it was so open. And that's what surprised me. I, I expected Rotherham to approach it a little bit like Derby did and, and sit back and maybe try and catch us on the counter. But they, they, gave us as, they gave it as good as they got. And I thought it was a great game to watch. And it was so open. And actually Norwich probably should have had a goal much earlier in the game than they did. And it could have been any score you like by half time. I thought it was a proper championship game of football. It was, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, that was it. I was also encouraged by the kind of amount of chances, but it, it did feel like Rotherham with the unexpected pressing that they were doing, were leaving huge gaps that because of the players we have in attacking areas, we were able to exploit. Unfortunately, we just weren't able to take those chances in the, um, in the first half, especially. But for me, I think still as an attacking unit, we're not where Daniel Farker would want us to be. I think we're still looking like a team that is maybe waiting for something to happen than a team that is tr- like knowing what they're going to do to make something happen, if you know what I mean. Yep. Um, but I, I, I do also genuinely believe that, um, that that will come over time, especially as we'll come on to later with the players that we've managed to retain at the end of the transfer window. I did want to just share this with you because this, um, this was something I asked uh, Jordan Hugill after the game on, on Saturday. You've got more than six minutes today. I mean, that, 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 I'm, I'm personally quite glad. That I don't know, my lungs start. aren't feeling delighted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what were you doing? How were you after sort of eight minutes? Was that eight I'm minutes. joking, I, I obviously. Was all right. I was looking at 75, I was thinking, oh my God, I'm not going to But that, that, I mean, as much as the goal, I would imagine actually starting a, a league fixture as well. And there's, there's clearly work to be done in terms of how, how you're going about it as an attacking unit. But... That, that whole element of getting the start and going right yeah, here we go yeah as I said look at my, my season last year I was I was playing every game so as I said I had to be patient coming at this team and when my chance came along I knew I had to, to take it so what happens now is happens now but I believe that I've, I've done what I can today and I believe that we can go from to the next level from here well done Matt. cheers thank you I think it'll be interesting, of course, if, if he plays. I, mean, I, was, I was just trying to you know, joke a little bit about him getting more than six minutes because well, you know, it was a bit of a recurring thing. But, can, um, I, can I just say as well, Michael, I, I listened to Chris's interview with Jordan Hugel as well yesterday. And I thought it was absolutely brilliant, actually. He comes across as a, a really down-to-earth um, kind of guy. He's definitely an endearing character. The fact that he said um, he's fallen in love with, with Norwich already. And this, this is his first, <laughs> his first goal for the club. Um, yeah, I thought we came across really well. And, and, and I was looking in, into his like career um, and the background and stuff, and there are kind of echoes of Grant Holt. I'm not going to say he's going to have anywhere near the impact that Holt did for Norwich City, but I, I feel like he is somebody who is absolutely devoted to improving himself and being the best he can be. And he's at that stage now where he's at the peak of his career. He's got a move here to a club that is going to be gunning for championship promotion. I feel like he could have a real impact this season if he continues on that trajectory. Having said that, I thought his performance was was decent against Rotherham. I think there was a lot of things that he certainly could improve on. Um, but yeah, I'm optimistic that he could be a really good option for us this season. A few times when he was rolling on the floor and winning a free kick, and then he sort of saw him get up and sort of shudder, shake himself off and, and walk towards goal. I was thinking, yeah, I saw Grant do that quite a lot. But that that then sort of had me sort of scratching my head because the idea of Grant Holt in a Daniel Farker team, I can't really get my head around because it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work. But it even sounds a bit like him, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> talking to him you think hang on this it is like a, it is like a Grant Holt tribute act 
uh, watching Jordan Hugel at the moment. He, he sounds a bit like him. He's from a he's from the north, similar area of the country, and he's number nine. He's big target man. He, he's got, he's had a similar career trajectory, hasn't he? Where he he's, you, you feel that if it really takes off for him somewhere, he, he could become a hero. And I know our friends from Along Come Norwich have gone early and already made the Jordan Hugel tribute T-shirts, which I I really hope uh, proves to be a wise investment. And it's not one of those that we're we're looking back on like the the on loan to the Ensley League T-shirts from oh. 1995, and we're laughing at. But no, I think he's. It's interesting. Without fans in the ground, I don't know whether cult hero status comes that quickly. But I think if you had Norwich fans there on Saturday who were able to see him play, they would have been in that end where he took the penalty away because that that was in front of what what's usually the away end at Rotherham. I think you would already have somebody who was becoming a little bit of a cult hero. There's there's definitely promise there, isn't there? But maybe these things without fans in the ground take a little bit longer to to to, to, to catch on. I don't know. Yeah, and I think it's easy to typecast him as somebody who we, we will just play long balls into and be a kind of stereotypical target man. But actually, I don't know if either of you two noticed this against Rotherham, but a lot of the crosses we actually put into the box, especially in the second half, Hugo was actually peeling off and not going for that first ball. That indicates to me that he has a bit more kind of, of a poacher's instinct than maybe we might give him credit for. And it'll be interesting to see how many... Because um, goals, and I think he said this himself, goals are something he has gradually added to his game as he's gone on so he's maybe he maybe started out as somebody who was purely in the team for his physical presence and was, was bringing other people into play but actually I think watching him for 90 minutes yesterday his movement when we were in the final third of the ball was actually quite interesting and and a lot of the crosses that went into the box didn't actually end up going towards Jordan Hugo as you might expect. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, uh, things we are not going to discuss. Uh, these are the things we, we feel we have a duty to uh, bring up, but um, but maybe we'll just you know sweep them under the carpet or not talk about them. But um, so we're definitely not going to talk about uh, the defending for the first goal. Although I, I have to say it was sort of the subsequent, um, probably slightly overhit pass from Tim Krull, and then the ball sort of going over Ollie Skip, which wasn't ideal as much as Grant Hammy kind of being caught on his toes. But it was like the first three minutes, Chris, of his of his return <laughs> so he probably deserved a bit of the benefit of the doubt from there as well can i be honest yeah i've not seen the goal again other than <laughs> when it actually happened and well, i'll tell you why because we didn't have replays did we at rotherham which no. we do at some games we don't at others and it was so early in the game when they um put the match highlights out later on youtube i just fast forwarded through that because i, d- I didn't want to see us conceding a goal i just wanted to watch the, <laughs> i wanted to watch norwich's goals so it felt so long ago and so much happened since i wanted to see the penalty save i wanted to see the red card I, so I'll cards on the table. I saw what I saw with my eyes at the time, and I've not watched it back at all since. Well, this is the the, the benefit of being a radio commentator. You you can you know have a mic and watch the game and talk. It's great. Yeah. Whereas I had I was in my laptop um, crafting a tweet about Chris Kamara making a noise above my head, and me going, "Oh look, there's Chris Kamara." I was mid tweet, and then I was like. Oh, there's uh, Ladipo and always scored. So I didn't even see that build up in real time. It was then watching it back. And actually, Grant Hanley's involvement wasn't quite as bad as I, as I was sort of being led to believe up until the point. That was how I Yeah, I, I think if, if any of those three players was, if we were going to put the blame on one of them, I think it would be Ollie Skip personally, Ooh. because um, look, the, 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 the pass out from Krull obviously wasn't 
that accurate, but it also wasn't a kind of disastrous mistake hey. like like he made at Arsenal last season. Um, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> and, no, no, we're, not, we're definitely not going to talk about that. But I think also Hanley would have expected Skip to get that ball, hence why his, his body position is maybe slightly not where it should be. Hey. We're not going to talk about it anyway. Um, oh, I was just going to say, it's a proper Norwich goal to give away then. It was an all-round bad job. <laughs> Everyone. Mistakes by committee. That's how we like doing it. <laughs> Tim, Tim should have saved it anyway. Um, <laughs> the red card, we shouldn't talk about it, but crumbs, what a tackle that was. I mean, uh, I think everyone was sort of just grateful that Oli Skip got up again, although he didn't complete the game. And I, I'm not entirely sure that was purely tactical. I think that whether he was struggling a little bit, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, it was, you know, I, I haven't heard anything from the FA since about... Um, the scenes afterwards which which made me wonder but I don't know how precious they are about that now but no well you just it's, again you talk about the, the joys of being a radio commentator and, and the great thing about that is you knew exactly what was coming straight away it was it was you didn't have to even if we had VAR you wouldn't have had to have no. waited for it for that it was such an obvious red card and um, yeah Angus McDonald who once scored an own goal for Norwich uh, when he was a Barnsley player he's now scored been sent off against us so I'm, I'm putting him up there with Gareth McCauley as a potential reverse Luis Suarez <laughs> a stinker against Norwich he's got a long way to go to match Gareth McCauley <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know I'm sure you picked up on this but when you were speaking to Daniel Farker Chris um, he, he, he did label it a, a top class Premier League game didn't he on, on Saturday I think he meant championship didn't yeah you? I think he did yeah bless <laughs> yeah. him but, it um, was it was a proper championship oh game. it was yeah, yeah yeah I mean it definitely wasn't a Premier League game but I mean, it was it was a really entertaining game we should say that but we won't obviously talk about it um, there were fans back watching at Carrow Road Ben in in a lounge, socially distanced, yeah. and I think they enjoyed oh, it. Did they? I've I've not actually seen anything about this. Is is there? Has there been some feedback and on the experience? I think there's bits and bobs um, here and there. I, I someone yeah. I I know someone who was there. They said only half of them were actually watching the penalty because they were sort of hiding behind their socially distanced <laughs> chairs. Um, but I mean that's that's good. I mean there are some clubs who are hold, holding these kind of beanback events at home games, which does kind of throw into a whole ridiculous set of circumstances but we're definitely not going to talk about that um we're not going to talk about the fact that uh, charlie gilmore has been released um former arsenal um apprentice did quite well at telstar i think uh, but picked up a nasty injury just before uh, lockdown and everything so obviously we all uh, wish him well with whatever awaits um and el hernandez is injured which is probably partly why adam Eder was on um on from the start against uh rotherham and he's out basically until christmas as well chris which is that's annoying, isn't it? <laughs> or not yeah. that Anel had had a great sort of reason. No, I don't, but... I don't think he had. I think that he's one of those players that you felt hadn't made his mark in the Premier League quite as much as we'd all hoped he would. But I think partly because of injury and just the way it went for Norwich. And you, you expected a big season from him. You thought, right, back in the Championship, we know he can do it at this level. Didn't think he'd started particularly well. Um, but now maybe we know why. Not 100% fit. And hopefully we can get him patched up and back and properly fit for what will probably be the second half of the season so yeah um, he's not done yet as a Norwich player all being well because someone who's got that pace and that ability when he's on song it's, it's valuable in the championship um adductor surgery he had which uh, for us is groin <laughs> sorry as far as, far as I'm, I'm i'm aware so speak for yourself michael well, yeah i mean my, I'm, I'm sure some medical professionals will be horrified at the difference between the adductors and the groins but there we go um and um we should also mention, well, I don't know why I'm mentioning this because I didn't want to talk about them. So um, there's obviously Milton Keynes-Dons who had uh, Cameron Jerome and Carlton Morris on the score sheet, uh, Louis Thompson getting booked and obviously Russell Martin in charge. They they won at the weekend, which is great for them in League One, just 
clearing themselves away from the, the bottom end at the moment. Uh, I did have a glance at the top um, and we're definitely not talking about that. Uh, anything you guys don't want to talk about? Uh, can I, I don't want to talk about luck. And <laughs> yeah. the, the reason I don't want to talk about luck is because <laughs> when Norwich lost to Derby, we were sort of chatting about it on the radio and we said, oh, it's, Norwich didn't have the rub of the green today. They Pookie missed a penalty and slipped. That was unlucky. You don't see that very often. And a lot of fans um, were, were quick to ring in and say, it wasn't anything to do with luck. It's the, it's the results that matter. And then on Saturday, you score a 95th minute uh, winner from the penalty spot. And everyone says, well, we were lucky today. Go, Hang on, <laughs> you, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> we, were, we were either very unlucky and then very lucky or the results speak for themselves. You can't have it both ways. Too true. One thing I don't want to talk about is our defensive situation. Obviously, I really don't want to talk about it. But what, what I've noticed during the championship this season, interestingly, is that defence seems to be winning. I mean, there's a real paucity of goals in the championship. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, especially when compared to the Premier League. Um, I don't think the weekend just gone, I don't, and no team scored more than two goals. There were two nil-nils and four one-nils. Um, and Watford, who are fifth in the league, have scored three and conceded one. There just seems to be a real... Yeah, and I'm, I'm interested to, to know your, maybe your theories on to, as to why the Premier League has, has um, seen so many goals in the Championship, so few behind closed doors. My theory is that maybe the attacking, like attackers in the Championship, perhaps rely more on the momentum that maybe a crowd offers. Whereas in the Premier League, the kind of quality in attacking areas is stands out behind closed doors. I don't know if I'm making any sense at all, but I'm, I'm, it's, it's an interesting kind of... Um, juxtaposition that I'd, I'd have to break it down but it, it strikes me in the premier league so many of the goals are coming with the the bigger clubs whether they're either just not with not, not at it at one end or just come frightfully at it at the other whereas and I, I get the impression that from actually l- halfway through last season i remember speaking to um george ellick wasn't it in our preview podcast and he was saying that the championship is it's not, it didn't really follow Norwich and, and Leeds' example of this beautiful, free-flowing football. They actually started that there were teams who were, being, who were building success on being pretty awful <laughs> in terms of just, you know, defensive and let's just not get beat. And I wonder if that's maybe the, the, the sort of a ex, extension of that into this season, uh, possibly. Um, yeah, Chris, obviously, Chris, it's still Chris very early Hutton. days. Chris Hutton's yeah, yeah. obviously in at, at Nottingham Forest now. And uh, he, um, Paul... Uh, uh, Paul Taylor wrote uh, the first piece. They beat Blackburn, and um, apparently uh, Chris Hutton has added, added an attacking dimension to their um, resolute defensive um, work under Lamucci. So, but we're definitely not talking as about as that. evidenced in their one nil win against Blackburn, <laughs> the team top yeah. of the league. Yeah, I, I think what, what I noticed from the weekend in the Championship, I think I'm right in saying there was only one home win. In the championship yes. this weekend. Yeah. So that the point you made about buying closed doors football. I think if if ever there was any any proof needed that it does make a difference, that's got to be it. That strikes fear into me for this week coming up. That's good to say. <laughs> good time for two home games. <laughs> Right, let's get into our centrefold, shall we? Um, it's a good time for me to plug my piece from the weekend that touched on how things have been in the last fortnight for Emmy Wendy and Max. Aaron's and Todd Campwell, um, but also, of course, what happens from here. You can read that and everything on the superb app from The Athletic as well as on your desktop. New subscribers can read it all for just £1 per month for a limited time. Simply visit theathletic.com forward slash UK subscribe. Um, the key thing of the transfer window finally closing and us not actually starting a podcast by talking about it is that the three are all still here, Ben. And, and you know, Max, uh, Max and Emmy were integral to the win at Rotherham, ultimately. And while Todd got a bit of a whack from Grant Hanley, I think it was, in training, um, he should hopefully be back soon too. 
So yeah, you know, obviously, obviously yeah, three three really important players for um for us. First of all, Max Ahrens. I mean, I think he's he's been so good this season, and his quality at this level is there for all to see. And I actually think he's beginning to take on a bit of a leadership role in this team as well, which is exactly. which is really interesting for somebody so young. Um, Emmy Buendia um, eventually had a, a, a really positive impact on on the game against Rotherham, having had a you know a, a, maybe a difficult kind of first part of the game. And then it sounds like Daniel Farker and Todd Cantwell have, have had a chat during the international break, and and maybe Toddy might be um, motivated slightly more than he was before to um, contribute to certainly our, our our matches over the next couple of months before the January transfer window opens again. Yeah, well, yeah, um, ten weeks. <laughs> But a lot of games. I think it is a lot of games between now and and, and Christmas. Um, a, a pretty deep, um, a deep conversation. I think, as the way Daniel uh, described it. So we, we'll see how they get on. Um, perhaps the other sideline to all of that on deadline day was Tom Tom Tribal leaving Chris and and joining Blackburn, which I suppose is the element that probably raised the the bigger eyebrows. You know, a player leaving to a side who are well quite determined to go up this year by the, looking at their recruitment and how they're planning to do it. Well, yes, Tony Mowbray is building a sort of greatest hits of promotion winners from previous years, isn't he? He's got Bradley Johnson in there. He's got Elliot Bennett, I think is injured sadly at the moment. Now he's, he's added Tom Tribal to it. He's on Barry Douglas as Barry well, Douglas, didn't he? I noticed. Yeah. So he's, he's got a, a, a squad full of players who have got promotions, but maybe not for Blackburn. Yeah, I can, I can see why Norwich fans are a little bit concerned about this because it does look like an accident waiting to happen, doesn't it? You've given one of your players to another club in the championship who's, who's near the top of the table. But I think you've got to look at it and, and say, if you, if you tell a player that he's not required and you tell him to find a new club and you don't give him a squad number and, and you're that emphatic about it, if it gets to 24 hours before the transfer deadline and he has found a new club and there's only one offer on the table... It takes a neck to stand in his way, doesn't it? And say, actually, no, you're staying. I think if, yeah. that this is the. I think Norwich got, got themselves in the situation where they told him to find a new club. Probably assumed it might be a, a, in Europe, might be back home. Actually, the only offer on the table was Blackburn. So, if you've made a decision that this bloke isn't good enough to play for you in the Championship, you can't then decide that he is good enough and, and deny him from from going somewhere else. So, I, I I don't see what else they could reasonably have done. Yeah. I'm putting myself in Tom Tribal's shoes. I can't. I can't imagine at the beginning of this summer he'd have, him, he'd have seen himself playing for Blackburn Rovers and in a, a championship promotion push. But no, I, I completely agree with what um, what Chris has said. How how much he contributes and how much he plays in terms of minutes for Blackburn will be interesting as well. Whether he becomes an integral part of their team. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking at kind of the, the what the stuff around Tribal, and obviously we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. But the stuff around Tribal has kind of baffled me a little bit. Um, how, how he has been cast aside so much because I look at the role Lucas Rupp is playing in the team at the moment and think, well, Tom Tribal could do that job probably slightly better. I'm not saying Rupp's been really bad by, by any means, but I think, um, yeah, it, yeah it, it's, it's a bit of a strange one. Um, but yeah, uh, good luck to him because he's, he's, he's contributed a lot for Norwich over the last few years and it's a good move for him. Too true. Um, left wishing for anything more? Uh, a bit like Daniel Farker, because that was kind of what he said effectively on on on, uh, on, on Friday, Ben. Yeah, maybe. Um, obviously, Zimmerman picking up an injury. It's fine. It's, it's just a minor one. It's just fine. Yeah, no, but I've, I've, I've got a feeling you two are going to speak to Daniel Farker after this, and he's going to say Zimmerman's also going to miss Birmingham and Wickham. You know, it's one of those classic. Okay, he's going to miss three games then, is he? Well, that um, would be all right. It's, it's when he comes out and goes, well, he's had a bit of a setback, and now he's going to be out for four yeah. months after an operation. Yeah. They're the ones you want to worry about. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Look, I don't want to talk about central defenders because that 
that topic has been um, spoken about so much. But yeah, if, if anything, covering that position might have been nice. But yeah, close me down there because I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm closing you down. Chris? <laughs> I, I can't think when we signed it, was it 11 players in the end? Yeah. So we, we, didn't leave, we didn't leave too many um, stones unturned, did we? But I completely agree. I think it's because of it's bitter experience isn't it i think grant hanley and ben gibson as a back to a central defensive partnership has all the hallmarks of being a proper championship central defensive pairing and if they get a string of games going together and they play like we know they can i think they're going to take some shifting from the team and if you've got those two with zimmerman around it's actually not bad in championship standards that's actually decent i think the problem is we have we're so scarred by having lots of central defenders injured at the same time and you look at the fitness records of these certainly Hanley and Zimmerman recently and Ben Gibson not playing for, for a number of, of, of years uh, at Burnley, you can't help but have that nagging thought at the back of your mind that it's not going to be many weeks before Alex Tetty's playing at the centre-back again. And then we're <laughs> going to look back and think, you know, for, for a club that prides itself on recruitment to come out of a busy transfer window looking a centre-back short, it's a big gamble, isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, that Tetty tweet, I've seen a lot already. <laughs> People calling that. Michael, do you think if we'd have managed to get either Josip Dermich or Moritz Leitner, one or, one or both of those out, do you think that would have freed up the space for Farker to have brought a centre-back in? Sorry yeah. to be on the spot. Yeah, p- potentially. Um, potentially, but I, I don't, you're only then talking about wages. So it's then about who you loan in. And I think, because yeah, yeah. they're kind of viewing it as a fourth, fourth choice centre-back. Um, that's a really hard one to recruit. I mean, who do you want to bring in for that? So I think Daniel Farker said he, he was sort of hoping that he could have brought someone in, but I, I don't know if, if that if that was someone who was really going to compete with the sort of the top end of his centre-back options. I, I don't know. It's um, it's a hard one to, to, to decipher. And so prob- probably not, um, but we'll see how the other backup cover options pan out if, uh, if we get to that point. Well, let's obviously hope not. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Right, this is a new section which I'm labeling, this is just like fantasy football. Um... Now, the schedule going forward for the rest of the year is not, not really ideal for a podcast that goes live on a Tuesday. Um, we will work through that. Um, and please make sure you're subscribed via your usual podcast player so you don't miss any editions of On The Ball. And that includes any bonus podcasts that we may do around the midweek games. Uh, but as part of it, I figured we should, uh, we should round off our podcast basically predicting what's in store over the coming week so you can enjoy this podcast with the added gift of hindsight which I think is one of the greatest gifts you can be given. So um, for those wondering, Norwich hosts Birmingham on Tuesday and uh, then it's Wickham on Saturday. I don't know which of you would like to go first, but I am going to go straight in with Wickham. I mean, Wickham look one of the worst championship sides I've seen um, so far, uh, which seems like a great thing to get involved in in terms of predicting. But they, uh, I think they have scored their first goal, I think, which they celebrated with euphoria, uh, but they, they, they lost... And uh, their boss, Gareth Ainsworth, who, who's obviously done a brilliant job to get them where they are, um, is just delighted to be here. So uh, that will be exciting seeing them down at Carrow Road on Saturday. Is that a prediction? 
Uh, what, what, what are you predicting? <laughs> it's going to be about eight, isn't it? Surely eight nil. But hopefully Norwich will get a consolation. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. Are you asking us for score predictions here, Michael? No, no. I want. I just want things, stuff that's going to happen. What's our week well, going to look like? I, I think Norwich City surely finally are going to get some points behind closed doors at Carrow Road. Oh, come right? on, that's ridiculous prediction. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, six, I mean, six league games dating back to Project Restart. Um, obviously, Preston doesn't count because there are fans in the ground. The other, the other behind closed doors games. Manchester United, so close in the cup. Yeah, in so the cup. close. Um, but the empty seats of Carrow have yet to see their team <laughs> pick up any points. Or score. Well, we scored in the Man U FA Cup game. Oh, in the league. I was thinking in the, in the league. In the, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. in the league. No, you're right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Bring back the thousand so, fans. Um, <laughs> and uh, I mean, Ita Karanka, you know, they, they tend to be quite lively games when he's at Carrow Road. He's in charge of Birmingham now, obviously. It's, there's a bit of a Middlesbrough-esque uh, 2015 vibe to Birmingham now, <laughs> I've noticed, which is good because yeah. that was like five years ago. So um, whether they're all at uh, their peak, I don't know. But I think that's going to be a draw that game. Um, yeah. And I think there'll be a meltdown from fans on social media and then we'll beat Wickham comfortably. And I think I said at the beginning of this week, seven from nine is a minimum from the three set of fixtures. So I'll probably take that. Although, would I really take a home draw against Birmingham? I'm not sure. I mean, it would. I, Chris, I can just, I can feel now a good, a good convincing 3-0 home win against Birmingham and then a 0-0 goalless draw at home to Wickham. Yeah, I, I think we all, we, we all know from Norwich City what it tends to be like, don't we? And I think if they beat Birmingham comfortably, then I'll be more worried about Wickham. That'll be one that will somehow manage to, to do a derby and lose to a, a goal in the last minute or something. I, I could see one of them being a, a fairly comprehensive win and the other one being a frustrating draw or even like a 1-0 defeat. I just think that's so Norwich. And we'll, we'll come out at the end of the week saying, well, if we, if we, if we, we can do it, there'll be, there'll be signs of potential. There'll be moments like the, the build-up that led to the Rotherham goal on Saturday where you'll go, here we go, they, they found it again. <laughs> and then there'll be moments like the, the Derby game where Pookie will be slipping over and, and all, oh, goodness knows what. Oh. We're not quite there yet, are we? So I, I'd be delighted if we win both games, but the way Norwich have been recently, I, I, I'm not going to, put my neck on the line and say it's going to be two comfortable wins because it just won't be will it it's Norwich City Todd's uh, Todd's going to play isn't he Ben <laughs> uh, you tell me Michael you've, you've got well, the inside know. track I don't, I don't make those decisions it's not up to I me. hope so Although Steepy, I thought Steepy did did all right in phases on on, on the weekend yeah I, I think I owe Marco an apology actually because I halfway through the second half I was like get him off what is going on because it, it, it so much seemed to end with him giving the ball away, but I, that was, I, I think looking back at it now, that was just my perception of everything because he was, he was kind of involved in a lot of the really good moments, especially in the first half, played a big part in the equaliser and um, actually didn't really give the ball away much more than, than some of the other worst defenders on the day. So, sorry, Marco. You didn't know it, but now I've apologised. So, there we go. Marco's going to score. <laughs> Let's put that in. It'll be a Marco Stephen goal. And then we, have, we haven't seen a celebration for a while, have we? Like, no, that's uh, true. I think he's 30 games without a goal, I think. 3 0. I think he is, yeah. Wow. Born to score. Ouch. A lot of those were kind of sub appearances in the Premier League, but yeah, he's not, he's not scored since the, the, the previous championship season, has he? So. Oh, there you go. That's quite a bold prediction, then, isn't it? Ultimately. Well, um, I tell you what, whatever, whatever happens, we will be back the other side of it, which I suppose is the exciting part. Uh, that is uh, time. On the ball, we'll be with you every step of the way this season, so make sure you subscribe via your usual podcast player of choice. And the podcast is available for free for everyone on your usual podcast player, and then ad free to subscribers of The Athletic. 
via our app. If you like what we're doing, leave a review and a rating wherever, and please spread the word of our efforts across the Norwich City world. If you'd like to get in touch, please ask a question, propose a topic, whichever you wish. Sling me a direct message on Twitter. The handle is at Michael J. Bailey. In the meantime, a big thank you to our debut crew, Reunited. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you, Michael. Chris, always a pleasure. See you, Michael. Uh, We'll be back again next week for another On The Ball at Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. Until then, never mind the danger. And we are done. We are clear, officially. Uh, Ben, all good? Enjoyed it? Yeah, good. I've got a problem because my chair is incredibly squeaky. So I sort of (laughs) tried to sit so still throughout that recording so it doesn't like... Can you hear that? Okay, yes, I can now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well so, done. Sort of a bit paranoid about that, but you know, we got through it. We got through it. That's sometimes the best thing to do in football is not to move whilst everything moves. Yes. Around, it creates space and great content. Um, welcome to Wits End, all of you uh, Twitterkers, and welcome, Chris. Hello again. <laughs> Looking slightly bemused as to why am I still here? We finished the podcast. <laughs> um, if any of you are wondering what's going on, listen to On The Ball podcast number 42, which went live on September the 8th. It's all explained in there. You can email uh, us right here at Twitterkers, which is Twitter, K-E-R-S, at iCloud.com, or use the hashtag uh, Twitterkers, hashtag Twitterkers on Twitter. Uh, just don't explain what it refers to. That's the rule. Um, uh, we've uh, let's rattle through some things, shall we? We did uh, touch on um, last week when it was just myself and Steve. We gave we gave Dean Ashton the the exit. We said he didn't need to come on, so that's all right. Away you go, Dean. Go and have your dinner because I don't think you'd eaten. Um, but we did um, pop up one thing in terms of best Norwich City moustaches. Now we had kind of it came out of a chat from Grant Holt, which I guess filters into the fact we've mentioned Jordan Hugo. I mean, I guess he's going to have to grow a big moustache before he. Well, yeah, I'll probably take more than that. But, you know, a moustache will help. But um, in terms of greatest Norwich City moustaches, I mean, that was a Movember effort. So we have to then say, is that kind of the same thing? Does that really count? Um, so we put out, a, you know, a, a note if anyone wanted to let us know. Uh, Richard Hammond got in touch on Twitter and he mentioned uh, Graham Padden and John McDowell in terms of great moustaches at Norwich City. Now, I reviewed, if I, I reviewed to, can you picture... I can kind of picture Graham Padden, so I can I can go like, yeah, okay. Uh, John McDowell, I couldn't really. No. Can anyone help me out? No, before, before no, our sorry. time, Michael, which I know is no excuse. You've got to know your history. But well, this is true. Well, I did. I, I did look him up. Well, yes, please. I, I did as well. So um, I don't know if I, I might be able to share my screen. I don't know. But there's a, an incredible picture of him right now with a full perm and a proper handlebar moustache, John McDowell. He looks an absolute treat. Uh, to give some context, there's the panel next to it of similar images, which has Carlos Valderrama from about yeah. the 90s. So, um, but also a couple of other Norwich crackers here. Jimmy Neighbour, um, probably a bit more of a tidy moustache. Uh, and, and David Evans, who's, whose perm is a, is a lot tighter. The perm, maybe it's just really curly hair, but it's, it's a lot tighter to his head, but it's just wonderful. Uh, and then, and then a moustache that's probably not quite as fulsome under the nose, but um, but but certainly probably better than Grant Holtz. I'm, I'm afraid to say. So, um, a couple of really good options there. I, I might share those on on Twitter because I am aware I I did promise I would share the pictures of Gary O'Neill and of Robert Snodgrass on Twitter on deadline day, and I got <laughs> so lost in all the stuff that happened on deadline day <laughs> that I forgot to do it. So I'm going to put those out. Um, on, uh, I'm going to put those out at half time in the Birmingham game. Uh, 
Fantastic. And, and also thanks to um, Richard Hammond there for taking some time out of his busy schedule as a celebrity and TV presenter <laughs> to shed some light on some think, Norwich City moustaches. Do you think it, it could be, couldn't it? <laughs> I mean, it would probably be a burner account because there was no, there was no avatar on it. But Richard, let us know yeah. if you're you know, yeah. also busy. So there we go. And also more Norwich City moustaches. Um, they're not very common, are they now? Which seems a bit of a shame, really. Maybe Todd Cantwell's going to grow one in his next kind of statement. Maybe his next I, kind of appearance statement. I, I feel like we're not the place to suggest what Todd Cantwell should do with his hairstylings. No, um, and certainly, yeah, you, don't want, you certainly don't want to suggest it, Michael, because obviously he won't see that. So, I mean, if um, the TNC boys got involved in that, I reckon, yeah. I reckon they could coax him into a moustache. Yeah. But I don't want to, don't want to start speculating on whether Todd Cantwell could grow a moustache. I mean, we absolutely should be speculating <laughs> about that. So, you know, Chris, have you ever thought about? Getting no, stuck into comms with a moustache? So. No, I don't think it would. The, the lip mic would get in the way. I, it'd rub it off quite quickly. I, Disco Dale Gordon, when I first started going, yes. that, that, for me, that's the, that, that's the first one that came Ooh. into my, my head, and I, I can't think of a, a, a better one than that. That was a great... Um, but to fair, that, well, he was a stylish guy, Disco. Yeah, yeah. Disco Dale. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple of these just to see what your opinions are. And also, Ben, because you, you won't have had a chance to eat these. Uh, uh, eat these? Um, uh, mention these. I'm obviously hungry. It's lunchtime. Uh, uh, don't meet your heroes, which we've kind of spoken about when I um, told Chris Llewellyn I'd always backed him and he gave me a scowl. Um, <laughs> and also um, Steve Sanders, who admitted that uh, he was too, too, too shy to say how much he admired Dean Ashton, which I guess was also when he was a teenager and got his shirt signed. But then the other week when he was on the podcast with him and he, I think he was, he was very <laughs> calm and professional. So well done. Steve but uh, yeah any any Norwich City heroes that you probably shouldn't have met or maybe ones that just blew you away Chris oh I think it's always the first time isn't it it's from my era you can tell from the shirts in the background it's the again you go back to Disco Dale it's the Gunny era uh, for me it's it's even meeting Ian Culverhouse when we get to interview him as the King's Lynn manager that it's that era those are the ones that you're that, that have the, the biggest effect on you aren't they uh, it's it, sometimes it's for me it's when you get stuck when we do our interviews after a game uh, you'll know about this. You, you sometimes finish the interview and then you're left standing with the manager or the player while they mm. wait to go into a press conference. And yeah. I had quite a long 10 minutes with Steve Bruce uh, up at St. James's Park back in February after that nil-nil draw. And it's just hard to know what to... Because you don't want to say to him, oh, you just watch you. Because <laughs> that's so long ago and Steve's done so much since. So you have to kind of pass the time of day talking about you know, whatever's going on, the pictures that were on the wall. It's just, they're, they're just very awkward conversations because you don't want to be that guy that says, when I first went, you were playing. <laughs> and they're not, it's also post-match. I mean, it's... And they're, they're it's not... still, exactly. Oh. It's not normal time. The emotions are still running high and they're thinking about what might have been. So it's not the time to, to, to go into a you know, discussion on the, the life and times of Steve Bruce. So I left it. Yeah, fair, fair enough. I've had a few of those awkward conversations. I mean, Ben, you've worked at a football club. You've worked on the inside. You've, you've been colleagues of footballers. It's a completely different world. They were like your buddies. They all came on your leaving do and what have you, I'm sure. Well, they might have been my buddies. I certainly wasn't their buddy. Um, Ooh, no, definitely. Wow. Uh, no, it's, it's a strange thing. I'm sure you guys kind of had this transition as well where you, where you, you one, one moment you're kind of a fan and you see footballers as, you know, people who you'd never get to speak to and then suddenly when you work in football, it kind of becomes normalised. And actually, Brian Gunn, you mentioned Brian Gunn there, Chris. Um, obviously, Norwich City bona fide a legend um and somebody who uh, you know i never really have dreamed of kind of speaking to but he is someone you know when you meet just such a normal nice um person everyone knows this everyone knows that gunny is um the nicest bloke you'll ever meet so yeah someone like him and also 
I don't, I don't want to sort of repeat what Steve said, but Dean Ashton for me, I'm the same age as Steve. So he probably had the same impression on me as a f- sort of young Norwich City fan growing up. And I still think he's certainly one of the best strikers that um, we've had in, in my um, sort of time supporting the club. So yeah, doing podcasts with him, we did a few projects when I worked at the club with Dean Ashton, getting to sort of speak to him and, and hang out with him. Yeah, it's, it's, it was a bit strange really. And actually that kind of fits in with the, whose name would you have on your back of your shirt question, Michael? The, the Ashton 36 kind of um, shirt was, was an iconic one. I've got a good story for you about Dean Ashton. Yes, so please. Not, not all Norwich City supporters are blown away by Dean Ashton. I can remember <laughs> having him commentating with us. It, it must have been, may have been long enough ago for when Paul Lambert was, was manager. And he was commentating with us at Carrow Road. And he turned up and he said he'd had some lovely Norwich City fans come up to him in the car park before the game and had a good chat with him about life and times at Norwich City. And then ended the conversation by, by saying to Dean Ashton, Oh, well, John, hope you get a clean sheet today. They thought they'd been talking to John Ruddy. <laughs> <laughs> so not everyone is blown away by Dean Ashton, but he saw the funny side of that, thankfully, and just let them believe, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll do my best to let them believe I've been speaking to John Ruddy when they hadn't. It's, it's, a strange one. it's a strange one, Dean, isn't it? Because it, it, it does kind of frustrate me a little bit when people refer to him as a Norwich City legend because he really wasn't here for very long at all. No. Um, and obviously he now lives in the area and he retains some kind of link to the football club. But for me, like, obviously... He played nowhere near the amount of games other players have had, like someone like Brian Gunn, for example. But um, it was the impact in his short period of time and where I was as a supporter on on my kind of fan journey that kind of makes him somebody who I would always be um, happy to happy to talk to and sort of look up to. And, and wishing he'd been here a few months earlier. Um, Chris, yeah. I'm going to ask you that. This while, while you're on as well, Chris, you're the player who is on the back of one of your shirts or you would have on the back of your shirt? Do we see? Well, you've got, you've got, so you've got an Essex shirt, classic, obviously, see. from the late 80s. And Foster's big reveal. Yeah, oh, big reveal. Nice. It says a lot about me, this does. Yeah. Oh, no, yes. no heroes, mate. They, they just leave you and upset you. Never put a player's <laughs> name on the back of your shirt. I learned that very early. In this, this era, when they were selling Flecky and Chris Sutton, no, never, never have a name on the back of your shirt. It's only going to end in tears. I'm waiting to see. We don't see all the fans together now, but I'm waiting to see the first fan who's got one of the new shirts with... Ben Godfrey on the back oh, of it. You just don't do it. Yeah. Don't ever put a current player yeah. on the name on the back of your shirt. It's only going to end badly. You'd, yeah. you'd, Imagine you'd, all those fans who'd gone out after the Tottenham Cup game and gone, oh, I want a Josip Dermott shirt. Imagine see, that. If I worked in the club shop, I think I would take responsibility and I'd be like, no, don't get Ben on because he might leave. Um, how about Christoph Zimmerman? Because then that's probably upselling as well at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And yes. So... You know, I think really yeah, does that cost more? It's like Scrabble, isn't it? Like, do you pay more for it? <laughs> they Zeta? should be. They yeah. should do. I love that. Um, well, yes, and you're right because I'm, I'm sure I've said it many a time. You know, I had I had uh, Keith O'Neill on the back of one shirt, and he was always injured. And then I had Craig Bellamy on the back of another shirt, and he did his knee. And then I had Phil Ryan on the back of another shirt, and he broke his leg. I didn't learn. And I couldn't and, stop. <laughs> and and yeah, and what Ray Ward? Yes. Raid Award. Hey, yes. I still think he had something about him. <laughs> if, if, I, if, I'd have, if I'd have been a bit younger, then David Strahavka would have been on the back of, of, my, of that era, of 2000. When you turned up to the club shop and said, can you put Duard on the back of this? They go, are you sure? <laughs> no, they were like, oh yeah, our great Dutch <laughs> left winger signing who can hit an amazing corner. Yeah. Yeah. You sure I can't give you one of the other lads? You know, you sure that's the one you want? <laughs> hey, 
he had something. That's all I'm saying. Um, I think we've got one we'll email. <laughs> it's true. I've still got the shirt, as you know. <laughs> um, I've got one email uh, shirt. Let's get stuck into this. Chris Ogden. Thanks for getting in touch, uh, Chris. That was at twitterkers at iCloud.com. Of course, bring in your emails. We love them. Um, regarding underrated players, this was uh, underrated players in the last 10 years. I have a thing for unsung deep line midfielders. Uh, Gary O'Neill, there he is again. Massive headwind, Gary. Uh, did a decent job for us. And I still think David Fox's pass for Simeon Jackson away at Portsmouth is one of the best City moments of the last decade. I'm still annoyed that Chris Hewton binned Fox off. Although, to be fair, it was to make room for one Alex Tetty. Whatever became of him, Alex Tetty. So there we go. David Fox, proper and most underrated player of the last 10 years. Because he did play, played in the Premier League. I wouldn't say he's underrated by Norwich fans. I think he's very much rated, actually. Um, so, yeah. Well said, Ben. There we go. Yeah. Drawn a line under that <laughs> one. Gary, 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 o, Gary O'Neill, though. Yeah. Massive I'm not headwind. sure I agree. Massive yeah. headwind, Gary. Um, just on the old uh, Twitterkers and uh, wits end, we've got a... Um, Emmy of a business, which is one of the Twitter handles that's been set up by someone in, 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 in our honor, uh, which uh, one of the tweets from, from them over the last week, can I get a refund if I only watch three minutes at EFL? I, um, I hope you didn't because then you'd have missed all the good stuff. So there we go. And watch the last three minutes, you'd have been all right. Exactly. Well, that would have been worth the whatever it is, <laughs> £10. Not, not cheaper than a Premier League game, obviously. Uh, and uh, get yourselves over to twitterkers.co.uk. Um, the subjects on there, whoever's updating it, they're doing a remarkable job of keeping it up to date. And uh, we will look forward to the many topics that end up on there. And you can obviously get involved in discussing any of those whenever you wish at any time. As I said, I owe you those uh, two pictures. I will also um, put a picture up of... Uh, of um, who was the picture of? Uh, yes, John McDowell. That's it. John so I'll get McDowell. John McDowell's um, hair. And if anyone else can think of the best Norwich City moustache, and I guess we could extend it to hair, why not? Then I, I want to see those pictures. So put those up on Twitter with the hashtag uh, Twitter, because if you so wish. If not, uh, no worries. But I think we're done unless anyone has any other business. <laughs> no. no. Underrated player? Go on, I'll give you an underrated player. Oh, yeah, go on, Chris. Ultimate underrated player for Norwich City ultimate. in the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah. ultimate. Harry, Harry Kane. Whoa. That's There's true. No other answer. No, there this is. is no this is what happened. Answer. This is what happened on the last pod we did because Chris tried to say that Harry Kane should be. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. The greatest <laughs> I, ever. That's right. Well, no, I, no yeah. team of the decade. Team I said decade. If, the, if the question is who's the best striker to have played for Norwich in the last decade, there is only one answer. If the question is who's done the most for Norwich, it's not him. But if you're asking who did we not realise we had at the time. And who's the best striker to have played for Norwich in the last 10 years? It is Harry Kane. There's no other way of... I mean, I know you probably want to finish it now, Michael. But... Yes. <laughs> hey. That's why I've got his name on it. No, I haven't. Well, yeah. <laughs> He's on the back of the Foster's Lager show. But, uh, right. In that case, I'm, I think we should wrap it up. Um, thank you so much, guys. Um, much appreciated, Chris. Much, much, much pleasure. Much fun. Anytime. We'll do it again soon. Cheers, Anytime. Ben. Thank you. Um, and at the request of the Twitter account, uh, Emmy Other Business, uh, we have a fresh Norwich City pun to uh, wrap up. Please keep them coming our way. Uh, but for now, that's a rope. Mm-hmm.